Rumor has it there is a secret base hidden underneath the Archelaus. So have you ever been in a spaceship? Don't try this at home. Secrets of Area 51 Reveal. I'm from Series A, not Series B. Who are you, huh? Yeah, hey, Mama. It's time to open your eyes, open your mind, and shift your paradigm. You're tuned in to episode 30 of All Night with the Living Weeks, a podcast in which we investigate and discuss high strangeness in the fear world in which we live. I'm your host, Taylor, and across the virtual desk for me tonight is my brother, Seb. What's happening, brother? Man, it has been a good month. Mom and I went to hang out in uh, Santa Cruz a little bit, um, mm. got to see the ocean. Uh, it is a lovely got- thing. Got back to her house and threw on the Roku. And guess what was on TV? Back to the beach. It was like meant to be. <laughs> nice. It was the perfect day. So. Nice. And and if you want our, our color commentary of the 1987 film Back to the Beach, go find uh, our old podcast, If Memory Serves. I don't remember what episode it was. but It was a good dig, one, though. Dig through there. Yeah, it was a good one. <laughs> Definitely. Nice. And- and and hey, welcome back from the great state of Missouri. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, been yeah. back for been back for a while. Went at the beginning of the month, but it was a uh, it was a good trip. Very cool. Neat to see a uh, uh, a new part of the country that I'd never seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, drive in some weather that we don't really get in California. Right. I, I rarely find the need to run my wipers at full speed, but there was one day where I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to go nice and slow now. <laughs> Wow, downpour, huh? Yeah, yeah, um, pretty pretty significant. Didn't get any thunder or lightning. Uh, sadly, the day that we went from um, uh, the town that we were staying in back to St. Louis, mm. um, once we got to St. Louis, they started getting really good thunderstorms out there, and I was just like, "Oh, we're just we're doomed. We don't get to see any <laughs> don't get to see any exciting weather." Okay. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, Seb, you said that uh, June was a good month for you. Was it a weird month? I mean, it wasn't weird personally. I mean, I guess the biggest thing this past month was just Grush. Oh, yeah. What's your... It feels like it would be inappropriate not to at least acknowledge the story. But, like, what? what's your takeaway from all of this? Um, I, I see just a lot of word salad and not a lot of proof of anything. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, it's really kind of a non-issue to me. Mm, okay. Um, and and it just, I mean, I I mean, I'm happy to be completely wrong. Uh-huh. Um, but it it in a lot of ways it sounds like a lot of stuff just rehashed from so many other you know people coming forward from the government. Oh, they've got this. Oh, they've got that. Oh, they've got this. Oh, they've got that. It's like yeah, I've heard that before, and and I'm still not seeing any proof of it. So I'm not sure what I should say about that. Okay. Yeah, I definitely feel like he's not adding to the body of like hardcore physical evidence, mm-hmm. but I feel like he's just adding to like the lore, you know? Like I mean, there's some stuff that he said that that I've never heard before. Yeah. Um he was talking about a secret um online workspace where it's called like R space, like the letter R, R space where, you know, all these 
contractors and secret government people would log on and like discuss what they've learned, like reverse engineering UFOs and stuff. And I, I love the idea of those folks having to, you know, telework and Zoom just like the rest of us schmoes. Yeah. Know? Well, that's, I um, mean, yeah. <laughs> That's and th- and then he was saying like the Pope captured the first UFO in like 1933 or something like that and I was like whoa things are getting crazy now I was, I was going to say that's an alternate universe Indiana Jones adventure I'd like to see that's yeah that's definitely when my attention level picked up uh, <laughs> so but what's yeah. what's new in your weird I tell you what man June was really kind of a weird month really for me yeah it's been like this like series of odd low level like synchronicity tremors throughout Mm. the entire month so Mm. everything from like uh you know getting to someone's post about the phenomena and there being like 93 likes oh really just as i look at it you know or 112 likes you know numbers like that popping up yeah yeah. um i read i've been obviously you know, with traveling and, and just in my own daily life, I like to read. So I've been reading um, a, no- a lot of novels lately. Mm. Um, and I had two and, um, you know, neither of them are about like uh, tiki bars or tiki culture or anything. But but each of them referenced like real honest to goodness, you know, tiki bars. And the oddly enough, the, the second one, the second book that I read, and it was like just after our Missouri trip, a big portion of it took place along Interstate 70 in missouri and i'm like okay i was i was just there yeah 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 um okay and it was kind of weird because even in that book um uh this character referred to his kids by a term that we use with our kids and i was like that's okay that's interesting (laughs) like not impossible you know but it was just like one of those things not only that but there's this whole um i don't know if you've seen it in the news there's this whole um uh kind of like a, a ufo and uh like alien sighting in vegas oh my gosh yeah and it's like you just did a show we just did a show and right. your talk was and about we, ufo crashing in vegas yes yes so there was that and like last weekend um my son and i were out running errands and grabbing some lunch mm. and it's like like it was like snoopy stuff everywhere oh in California, you actually can get a Snoopy license plate. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like we saw one of those while we were driving, and we thought that was funny. Yeah. And then we like got out of the car when we had gotten to the, the bookstore, and there was another one. Mm. And then we went over to grab Five Guys for lunch. And as we're sitting there, somebody walks up and gets a soda, totally has like a Snoopy sweatshirt. And it's like, okay, whoa, that's a lot of Snoopy for <laughs> for Snoopy. one afternoon for like yeah. an hour. Okay. Um, so yeah, there's just been this kind of like constant little like rolling, nothing massive, nothing life changing, mm-hmm. but just just these little things just pop, 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 pop popping okay. up everywhere. Okay, that's weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see what July brings. Mm. <clears throat> Pardon me as I wet my whistle. That is one thing that did come back from Missouri with me was my allergy cough. So mm. I'm going to try to keep that to a minimum, folks, because otherwise it's a lot of editing. <laughs> Anywho, let's dig into it. We're why we're probably a little bit more than halfway, or maybe just at the halfway point of our our from the pages season. Yeah, um, and I'm actually I'm really kind of excited about this one. I'm obviously I'm craving some time at the coast, so mm-hmm. um, I went with a story that I remember coming across. 
I'll be honest, online somewhere. And I don't, I never bookmarked it the first time. So it took a little effort to find it again. Okay. So I'm calling this one Xena's Beach Trip. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really remember where I first saw the story, but I remember thinking, holy crap, there's a UFO encounter on a beach that I've gone boogie boarding at. Whoa. Yes. Um, and now that I've kind of researched this case a little bit, I kind of feel like it's maybe one of the, I don't want to call it like the last, but maybe one of the last of the Space Brothers encounters. Huh. Okay. Right? Because obviously 40s, definitely 50s, there was this kind of like when it came to contact T cases, it was like the Benevolent Space Brothers. It was like right? the golden age for that kind of stuff. It yeah. kind of really was. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, it's like, here, man, peace and love. Let me take you aboard our ship. Let me take you around Jupiter or whatever and then mm-hmm. drop you off again. And hey, you know, we have Space Jesus, too. So cool. Um, right, right. So in the early, early morning hours of January 30th, 1965, Sidney Patrick, who's a Watsonville, California based TV repairman. Um, and interestingly enough, I feel like it kind of sort of parallels Woody Derenberger's experience because he was a sewing machine repairman. Okay. Okay. Um, he was out taking a walk along Manresa State Beach. Oh. Um, yeah. South of Santa Cruz, north of, I mean, kind of roundabout Watsonville. Hmm. Um, but north of Sunset State Beach where we used to camp growing up. Um, when he heard a humming sound. And he became aware of a ship about 50 feet long and 30 feet high some distance away. Okay. Now, <clears throat> I should have prefaced this with the fact that um, I had a handful of resources for this one. One, I will make sure to link in the show notes. It's a website called ufoinsight.com. Okay. Um, I also uh, found a copy of uh, Volume 11, Number 3, which is the May-June 1965 Flying Saucer Review, okay. uh, in which our favorite Jerome Clark mm. uh, covers this tale. Um, also, the 1976 novel, or novel, not novel, sorry, the 1976 yeah. book, Encounters with UFO Occupants by Jim and Coral Lorenzen. Um, and even an accounting of this appears in John Keel's book, Our Haunted Planet. Oh, wow. Now... Here's the funny thing. Um, each of them has a slightly different uh, telling of the story. Mm. Um, and each one has literally a different name huh. for the alien that uh, Sydney here is about to meet. Okay. Um, which I find really interesting. Um, but the other thing that I am very thankful for uh seb is that you actually found me the original newspaper article oh yeah from which the story comes because there was a mention of the mayor of monterey california Mm. actually seeing a ufo uh the night before oh interesting um and i believe some santa clara county park rangers uh seeing one the night before that so we got january 20th 29th and 30th here and all roughly in the same part of the state, more or less. Uh, yes, yeah. more or less. Yes, the Santa Clara County Park people were inland a little bit. Obviously, Monterey, a little south mm. of Watsonville, and then Watsonville. So, yes. Um, okay. So, the majority of the story I'm about to cover comes from the newspaper article because I treat that as, like, the source. Mm-hmm. Um and then I've sprinkled in bits from my other sources where they either add information or 
point out something weird that I'm kind of like, well, where did this come from? Okay. So anyway, um, so becomes aware of a ship about 50 feet long and 30 feet high some distance away. Now, encounters with UFO, uh, UFO occupants. Ooh. Claims he suffered from insomnia. Sidney mm. Patrick did. Uh, and would work his ham radio at night. Mm. Uh, it also claims that a social worker noted his wife had a paranoid fear of communists. Oh. Um, so, okay. Not really sure if that plays into anything, but it was one of those, like, oddball things to throw in there. It's like, um, okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the ham radio thing I find really interesting because there's been lots of uh, examples, uh, even some of the Gabe Green era stuff, mm-hmm. uh, where ham radios play a big part in, you know, hearing from and making contact uh, with the occupants of UFOs. Not so much in this one. It just turns out that he is a ham radio operator. And yes, I was able to kind of like do some digging around and confirmed that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the story goes on. It was then that he heard in his head, um, although the Lorenzans claim the uh, voice was in the air all around him, mm. reassurances that the craft was friendly. The mm. ship landed and Zena, Z-I-E-N-A, mm. um, or Ziena, maybe? Mm. Anyway. Now, <clears throat> this name is spelled differently in each of the counts. UFOinsight.com calls him Zeno, X-E-N-O, right? Okay. Like, like xenophobe. Right. Uh, the Lorenzans call him Zno. Like you're saying snow, but it's Z-N-O. <laughs> okay. 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 Um, and it's noted that this was the best that Sydney could spell the name having heard it only once. Mm. So I, I'm just going to say that that probably accounts for all these weird spellings that we have. Mm. Um, invited him on board, right? So Zena invites him on board. The crew, he says, were dressed pretty much alike in two-piece suits of bluish-white. He also noted that the light in the ship was indirect and seemed to come from the walls. So they got that cool kind of, you know, diffuse LED glow behind their flat panels, TV and stuff. (laughs) The crew appeared to be normal human beings of average size with short, dark hair that seemed never to have been cut. Oh. As if that was just its normal length. It's not like they've got really long hair. It's just like it only grows so far and that's it. Huh. Which is weird. Yeah. Uh, now, the Lorenzans and UFO Insight claim there was one female crew member. Okay. I guess every ship needs their smurf app. <laughs> um, now, the Lorenzans' account claims there were two questions that Snow wouldn't answer. Oh. One, and I'm quoting here, a request to compare their time base with Earth's, and two, a request to describe the ship's power source. Time now, base. I, Yes. Okay. So let's touch on that real quick, because this is this gets very interesting for me, because there has been a pattern uh, in the New Kirk Museum of the Paranormal live stream Estes sessions where things get very, very weird when you ask an ultra terrestrial what their time cycle is. Whoa. So like like our time cycle is like twenty four hours. Is that what? Kind kind of yeah. I think okay. it's 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 kind of thing. It's like how does time pass? for you or how does time pass where you are okay so it can be like i i remember them telling a story um where they were actually at an event somewhere i want to say it was waverly hills okay um and they were doing a session with their frank's box and Mm -hmm. stuff and um you know it's like everybody's there expecting to talk to ghosts and all of a sudden like the ultra terrestrials come through and it's like what's your time cycle and it just gets weird 
from there just the stuff that kind of comes out and everything so this time base kind of jumped out at me hmm. when i saw this and i should note that uh, we are recording on the 26th of june both the haunted objects podcast today and the unbelievers podcast that dropped uh i think yesterday both are talking about mount shasta oh i saw that on your twitter yeah and both both bring up jc brown oh wow and i was like oh my god there you go i'm like i'd never heard jc brown before you brought him up and now here are these other podcasts who have much more listeners than we do (laughs) talking about jc brown so i I had to share that sorry that's awesome yeah um patrick says that uh xena told him where they were from in terms that he didn't understand he says quote i don't know much about space I wouldn't be sure their world is in the solar system. Mm. He said they had been here before, but not how many times or when their most recent visit was. Okay. He did say they would come again. Sydney also said the ship's power came from energy transferred through a light source known to them. Oh, maybe it's solar powered or something. But he also admitted to not really knowing what Zeta meant by that. Okay. Um, now the Lorenzen's account says their origin planet, uh, is one we don't see because it's hidden by a planet that we do see. Oh, okay. Uh, Snow being careful to phrase it as do not see instead of cannot see. Oh. Now this I find kind of interesting okay. because of other kind of like space brother-esque contact T cases where they claim to be from a local planet, like, you know, uh, uh you know venus Mm -hmm, mars mm -hmm. whatever but then when we talked about robert short yeah um and the idea kind of came up that it well it's not our venus it's a parallel solar system oh so i'm like it's he's from a planet that we don't see because it's hidden by a planet that we do see i think or i'm gonna argue at least yeah that this is a really roundabout way of saying that i'm from a parallel solar system okay (laughs) right we can't see parallel venus because it's hidden by our venus huh so anyway or maybe it's like they're from the parallel earth very possibly yeah yeah in terms of speculation yeah so sydney gets on board the ship the ship took him some distance away and landed on a hilltop now, okay. we don't have a real indication of where this hilltop is. Mm-hmm. Um, he stepped outside and tried to get his bearings, but was unable to before reentering the ship. Okay. Now, though not explicitly stated in the article, Zena, uh, Zena presumably returned Patrick to Manresa Beach mm-hmm. um, because obviously he gets back home. So we just have to assume that. Uh, Sydney would later make a report on his experience to Major Damon B. Reader at Hamilton Air Force Base. Uh, and he says, oh, the Air Force asked me not to discuss it in detail. Uh, he does go on to say that Zena said their visit was for exploratory reasons only. But I think it was more than that, Sydney said. There was a religious facet which I was unable to decipher. Now, the account on UFO Insight describes Sidney entering a consultation room where he was asked if he wanted to pay tribute to Zena's supreme deity, which Sidney felt was kind of a mesh of science and spirituality. Huh. Yeah. Um, Now, the Lorenzen's account also goes into some seemingly forced biblical comparisons with regards to the hilltop and also has a thin attempt to relate the communist paranoia with a claim that Snow kept his right side towards Sydney at all times. Yeah. 
frankly, I find both of these really hard to believe, but it's worth mentioning just in its strangeness. Yeah, that's pretty strange. Um, and, and yeah, if you have a copy of Encounters with UFO Occupants, it, it just, it really feels strained. Like, oh, it's a hilltop, and, you know, Jesus did this from a hilltop, and, like, okay, yeah, but, you know, I'll go for a hike up to a hilltop, and maybe I poop in the woods. I don't know, man. It's just... Sometimes a hill is just a hill. Sometimes a hill is just a hill. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So the account written about in Flying Saucer Review from mid-1965 is essentially a retelling of the original newspaper article with some interjections from Jerome Clark about what we're supposed to make of Sidney's account and where there are other cases with similar aspects. Um, It does, however, add a quote from Sidney to ufologist Lucius Farish um that i hadn't seen anywhere else so i wanted to include it here he says i was severely warned before release of this info to the newspapers that i'd become the subject of an extreme persecution ridicule harassment and vandalism by all people who've known me in the past however i wish to make it known that something completely different has taken place i've had none of this Every person who has contacted me up to now who knows me personally has called with very high praise and congratulation. Singular congratulation. I'm not used to seeing that. All letters I have received have been from highly respected people throughout the country. I've received hundreds of telephone calls from all over the country from very very notable ministers, scientists, teachers, and college professors. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So... Like I was saying before, this is the, the basically the third UFO sighting in as many days in the area. Right. Um, so the Santa Clara County Park Rangers, they saw a saucer-like craft over Hecker Pass east of Watsonville. That, I believe, is um, not Highway 152. That's Pacheco Pass. Highway 129? Mm. Between, uh, like, going out of Watsonville from, like, Highway 1 toward Highway 101. Okay. Okay. And, excuse me, Monterey Mayor uh, George Clemens said he saw a bright object over Monterey Bay on the 29th. Now, in my head, I was treating that as like a full day before um, uh, Sydney's encounter. But okay. John John Keel's recounting of his experience um, implies that the sighting on the 29th was mere hours hmm. before... Sydney's experience on the 30th, which makes sense. I mean, if it takes place at two in the morning on the 30th, the night of the 29th really is just, you know, two hours and a couple extra minutes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. earlier. Um, So could it have been the same ship? Who knows? Um, Now, I went ahead and took part of a morning and I Googled up a bunch of information on Sydney. Okay. Um, He definitely had his ham radio license Um, at the time of the experience. I found history to dress. Oh, cool. Um, and it was, yeah, I mean, it was definitely walking distance, kind of about halfway between La Selva Beach uh, to the north and Manresa to the south. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, later lived further up in the hills uh, in Watsonville. By 1972, he'd actually moved to Campbell. Oh, okay. Uh, we know Campbell uh, really well. Um, there are a number of amateur radio call books on archive.org. And so it's, uh, if you've got a ham radio license um, and you're, you know, constantly making CQs and connections with other people, you end mm-hmm. up in these call books. Um, it is 
Uh, very possible that he was up in the Marysville, so much further inland now, kind of in like the northern Sierra Nevada range by 2006. And thanks to you, because um, it seemed like my research was pointing to the fact that he was actually still around. No, mm. he did pass in September of 2012. Yeah. Um, now, what I find really interesting is I took 2012 and I subtracted the year he was born and he died at the age of 93. Ding, 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 ding. There you go again. 93 appears with gusto. Yeah. Our our dear friend Alan Greenfield says. <clears throat> um, now, the last thing I want to note about the story of Sidney Patrick, which I find really interesting. Oh, oh, oh. I also need, and I'll, I'll make sure to share this. You went so far oh. as to <laughs> find me a couple of old advertisements from the newspaper. Yeah, for his little shop Advertising his TV repair business. Yeah. Which yeah, what... I was blown away. I did not think you would find anything. <laughs> those um, were fun. Yeah. Oh my God. It really was so cool. I will sh- make sure to share those. Because yeah. they really are just kind of neat to look at. Totally. Um, let me see, because I I thought these them. No, this is something I said to you. Maybe I saved them. Give me half a second here. I want to bring them up because one of them makes reference to like the building or the store that he's in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, That's right. man. Where did I save it? Where did I save it? Shoot. Don't I wonder if it's on our share drive anyway? But it was like, it was like, you know, crazy Dons, Daffy Dons, Daffy Dons. Yes, that's what it was. Daffy Dons. Anyway, I will all share those on our, um, on our Twitter. Yeah, those were fun. Yeah, those were neat. I was very impressed that you found anything. So (laughs) you guys need a really good researcher, Ping Seb. Um, so the last thing of note, uh, from an April 1971 issue of NICAP's UFO Investigator Newsletter, uh, it has a short article about Sidney losing a court case over a thousand bucks that he borrowed from a friend in order to write a book about his experience. Oh. Yep, sure enough, five years after accepting a loan for that amount from a friend, the friend took him to court over that thousand bucks, alleging the book wasn't going to happen, and his cut of the profits from it were obviously never going to happen either. Hmm. Now, here's the crazy part. Sidney claimed that the manuscript was given to an associate who loaned it to someone else, and it never came back. What? Now, frankly, that feels like a pretty weak defense, and not surprisingly, the judge agreed. Wouldn't that be amazing if the manuscript is still out there somewhere, though? Um, yeah, it would be. I'd be very interested uh, to read that if it, totally. if it if it still existed um, or if it ever existed. I don't know. I really love this story. It gives it, it, it gives me the feeling of like how sometimes I might resonate with a feature film if I know that the film was filmed in my hometown or something mm-hmm. like that. Do, mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, it makes perfect sense. You know, yeah. I will always tell the story of, you know, the summer that back to the future three came out mm-hmm. and knowing that it was filmed you know up here in the gold country just above us and being like okay mom and dad we've got to find it mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. you know and and working with like these very vague hints of where it was based in like a single magazine <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> and then it wasn't until like maybe four or five years ago that i actually finally pinpointed where it was and mm-hmm. you know it's 2,000 feet off the highway that we were on. And it was just like, oh my God, we were yeah. so close. It was so on close. private land. We'd never have gotten to it. No, no. But, still. but it was so close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, the story of Sidney Patrick 
of Zeno or Snow <laughs> or Xena, Warrior Princess. No, um, <laughs> that's something else. Anyway, anyway, cool. like I said, it started with a beach that we've boogie boarded at. Yeah. And it actually had a UFO encounter. And I'm like, I've got to look into this story. Glad you did. Well, Patrick, we salute you. Indeed. Indeed. So, Seb, tell me about the psychic death train. Yeah, my story tonight is entitled The Psychic <clears throat> Death Train. And I've got to tell you, um, I've, oh, you know, I've made a slightly conscious effort to try to branch out and find some stories that aren't like necessarily like saucer or cryptid related because i feel like i've been going heavy on that yes same i feel like next month i've got to do i've got to find something different (laughs) but no but that's fine but um but yeah so yeah the psychic death train so tate i need i want to ask you a personal question this is actually something i don't know about you do you believe in fate do you think that our future is predetermined or do we have the free will to chart our own destiny what's your feeling on that yes and no Yes and no. Yes and no. Yes and I, no. I, I don't. I don't feel like every last little thing is predetermined. Okay. I don't think it's predetermined that I'm going to have pasta tomorrow. Okay. You know. Um, <clears throat> do I? Do I feel at times that things were fated to happen? Yes, I do. Okay. Um, so for as non-answer, you know, that is, I feel like some larger <laughs> things. Sure, those can be fated, but little stuff like, mm, am I going to have one cup of coffee tomorrow or two? I don't think that's predetermined. That's fair. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, you know, tonight's story poses some interesting points which might help us answer this age-old question. Um, It's what I like to call the psychic death train. It appeared in the January 1985 issue of The Shaman, a British paranormal newsletter. Wow. And And, and also a, a British uh, rave band from the early 90s. Oh, is it the really? Shaman, the Shaman, yeah. Oh, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, just just a note to any of our younger listeners out there, please, or anybody that are, is a parent listening to this, just be warned, we usually put links in the show notes, but the cover page of this particular issue of The Shaman has a big old naked lady for a reason that I can't identify or understand. So, Alrighty. um Yeah, just be, be warned. warned. Yeah, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so in this case, fate tragically struck on December 9th, 1980. Uh, on that evening, a 19-year-old student named Rachel Taylor was riding in a passenger train in North Lincolnshire, England, headed for Sheffield. Lincolnshire, like mm-hmm. the Lincolnshire poster. Mm. And Rachel's train, upon reaching the Robbery Junction, tragically... Ooh. Whoa, say that three times Ro- fast. Robbie. Robbie? Robbie? R-W-R-A-W. B-Y. Right. Thank you, Brian, huh. for naming things and spelling things really exciting ways. Yeah, no kidding. So Rachel's train was chugging along, and tragically it collided with a British rail freight train. A series of mistakes put Rachel's train on the same track as a diesel locomotive hauling nine empty 100-ton oil tank cars. Ouch. Yes. The freight train locomotive bore the ID number 47299 painted on the cab. And sadly, Rachel died in the wreck. And not long after the crash, stories began to circulate that a psychic medium had accurately predicted this very crash. Now, personally, I'm usually very skeptical of many stories of disaster predictions made by psychics, simply because it's so easy to say that such claims were made after the fact. Oh, yeah, totally. if, If a plane crashes tomorrow, and then the day after that I say I predicted it, like how could i i mean it, it seems like it would be kind of difficult to prove that that yeah. i actually had that dream or whatever before the crash happened yep 
However, in this instance, there's really strong evidence that this prediction really did predate the train crash. Um, Paul Screeton's article in The Shaman continues the story, and I, and I quote, was, 42, was 47216 born under a bad sign? It could be argued that one of the most extraordinary symbolic events performed during the 1980s was the non-arbitrary renumbering of a jinxed diesel electric locomotive 47216 by British Rail. It is not every day that such a monolithic institution would perform a, perform a numerological magic ritual upon one of its apparently cursed locomotives. I've got a feeling it wasn't an actual magical ritual, <laughs> but but I, go ahead, go ahead. I like I like where this is going so far. <laughs> Yet for no logical reason was 47216 to receive a new identity as 47299 in late 1981. Renumberings only occur normally if a locomotive has received a major modification which necessitates a number change so the TOPS computer can identify its new sub-classification for allocating its duties commensurate with its re-equipped capabilities there is somebody listening who is a british train nerd <laughs> who is being like oh my god yes oh Violet. man the tops computer system yes Violet, right <clears throat> so it is difficult to track down the source of urban belief tales but it would seem that there was sufficient concern and willingness to alleviate the predictions of impending doom surrounding 47216 for officialdom to eccentrically or otherwise approve the renumbering to 47299 in 1981. Another version claims that the renumbering occurred after a soothsayer predicted a crash involving it in its earlier guise 47216. A clairvoyant was reported as having seen in her mind's eye a big blue locomotive hauling oil tankers heading for a crash which would involve a fatality. So vivid was her picture that the clairvoyant could even decipher the number on the freight engine, 47260. So a big blue locomotive. Right. You realize this is Thomas the Tank Engine. This is this is Thomas the Death Tank Engine, yes. There you go. The psychic like Thomas. <clears throat> so, so two years later, and as 47299 on December 9th, 1983, whilst hauling a 900-ton oil train, that very locomotive collided head-on with a two-car diesel multiple unit at Robbery Junction. Student Rachel Taylor, age 19, died and five others were seriously injured. As with all urban belief tales, validity is sketchy and the clairvoyant remains anonymous. In a telephone call to British Rail, she insisted her name be kept secret before she described the accident in minute detail. However, the renumbering is in no dispute. And though far-fetched to some extent, it would seem that there is no other explanation than superstition that it occurred. The source was a railway enthusiast, Howard Johnson, age 32, of Sawtree near Huntington, Cambridgeshire, who, on seeing in December 1981, British Rail had renumbered 47216 for no apparent reason, telephoned its home depot at Immingham for an explanation. See, this, this is why I love these British train people. They're like, wait, yeah. wait. Right. Why has this one been renumbered? Exactly. I must make a phone call. Exactly. Johnson Johnson said, quote, I was astonished when they when they told me that 47216 had been renumbered because of a clairvoyance prediction. They said that they had been warned of an accident and gave me precise details. They were determined to play safe and made a special application to British Rail headquarters in London to change the number. I read about the crash at Robbery, Rob, Robbery Junction in my newspaper. But it was not until a friend rang 
to tell me it was $47,299 that the incredible story pieced together. You know what this means, Seb. What does this mean? Somewhere in the archives of British Rail is hopefully a the copy pa- the paperwork. Of, of, of this paperwork. Right. Being like, um, so yeah, we need to change the number. Why? Right. A psychic. But it would have to be written in like like very proper like British form. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of, no, no, no. I, yeah. I, my, my internal dialogue does not speak proper <laughs> British ever. If anything, it's like a drunk Welshman sometimes. <laughs> right, right. So the article continues, a spokesman for British Rail confirmed the history of the locomotive. It seems the change of number made no difference to the prediction. He said the clairvoyant was known to the police and it was decided to take her at her word. We decided that it would be better not to tempt fate. Now, that's the article from 1985 describing right. a train crash in 1984 and or 1983, excuse me, and the renumbering in 1981 just to get the timeline straight. You yeah. Know? So 1981, supposedly, according to the story, the psychic has the vision, calls the train company. Train company just decides to change the number on the locomotive. A couple years later, it's the same locomotive is in a fatal wreck. Then this article comes out in a paranormal newsletter, right? Okay. And this would be just about the right time to actually hear our monthly train in the background. Indeed. Indeed. So we'll see if it happens before the end of this story. <laughs> Now, for researching tonight's story, I was able to purchase two back issues of the British magazine Rail Enthusiast online. I I was unable to find these titles anywhere on the internet, like a scan of the article or anything like that. So I actually had to buy the physical magazines. I swear you have put more money into this show than I have. (laughs) Well, I got to tell you, each magazine was about $2.50. Not bad. (laughs) Not bad. Got it for the nice price. So according to a notice in the February 1984 issue, quote, 47299 in fatal accident the jinx that has been ha- that ha- the jinx that has haunted an immingham based class 47 for over 2 years followed it to a remarkable crash near barnetby on december 9th after predictions of impending doom british rail even renumbered 47216 to 47299 in december 1981 but it obviously made little difference it was hauling an oil train when it collided head on with a cleethorpe dash sheffield class 114 dmu 53049-54049, leaving one person dead, the diesel unit severely damaged, and both cabs of 47299 stove in. Unquote. Gosh, I, I, I love how nerdy <laughs> they get about this. Oh, man, it was, it was one of those Cleethorpe Sheffield classes, yeah. a 144 oh, yeah. DMU. Oh, my God. Oh, so. yeah, you know what that means, right? Oh, yeah. So the <clears throat> March 1984 issue, the very next issue of Rail Enthusiast, continues the story. Quote, Barnet be the aftermath. As reported in last last month's issue, there were one death and five serious injury, injuries at Barnetby on December 9th when a two-car DMU collided with a 900-ton oil train. Emergency services were stretched to the limit in appalling weather conditions, trying to cut the victims from the wreckage of the crash, which occurred at Robbery Junction at uh, 5.30 evening. The mm-hmm. locomotive on the oil train was 47299. The Class 47 renumbered after a soothsayer predicted a crash involving it in its earlier guise, 47216. So why does this story resonate with me? Well, for a couple of different reasons. First of all, in this day and age of internet urban legends, I always love it when I can lay my hands on an older physical publication, which can at least confirm the existence and date of a legend before the internet age, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? Um, second, I, I was <laughs> I was really blown away by Rail Enthusiast magazine. Oh, boy. So I'm no hardcore train buff, but I really dug the magazine's articles about railroad minutiae, including, like, field reports from dedicated train spotters. 
And you're exactly right, Taylor. These are the kinds of enthusiasts who would get really interested in the seemingly mundane renumbering of a locomotive and investigate th- further. Um, and it's 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 amazing to me that just you know weeks after this train crash, you know the fact that there's this whole backstory with the psychic is showing up in print. And not in a paranormal publication, but in the publication of, like, train enthusiasts. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, you know, there's a lot of things about tonight's story that I wasn't able to do, which I um, feel bad about. I I wish I could have positively identified this anonymous psychic. Um, Also, as you referred to earlier, I'd love to know if hidden somewhere deep in the British Rail archives is the paperwork requesting the ID change. There's, man, there's a FOIA request. Totally. Um, So, you know... Four off the top of my head potential explanations for this mystery include the following. One, the psychic's prediction and the subsequent train crash were coincidence, right? It's possible, you know? Mm-hmm. Number two, knowledge of the alleged curse somehow caused somebody to cause the train crash. Like maybe there was a railroad employee who was worried about work, about the curse and was nervous and caused mistakes to be made that precipitated the wreck. You know, that's... Okay. That's okay. conceivable, you know? Yeah, because it's, you, you know, you're clearly... You know, driving a train that has been renumbered. Right. Well, why, why was it renumbered? And then they tell you the story and they're like, oh, it spooked right. me out. I, yep, that's fair. It's, it's possible. <clears throat> Number three, maybe the crash predicted by the psychic was fated to occur and nothing could prevent it from happening. It was mm. just had to happen, right? Uh, number four, since no locomotive with the number 47216 painted on the side was ever in a fatal crash, maybe the prediction was successfully avoided. So that's another possibility. I, I'm, uh, see, that's, <clears throat> I mean, I would call that a technicality. <laughs> but here's. That's, I can see myself pushing up my glasses being like, well, technically, <laughs> it wasn't 47216 right. anymore. I, uh... 47216 <laughs> wasn't involved in a crash. It was 47299. It's a lawyer's dodge, I admit. <clears throat> but. But here's what here's where I get the most interested in this story. So if we take this story at face value, could this possibly illuminate some of the deeper mysteries of the space-time continuum? I ask you, and ladies and gentlemen, I ask you too out there in Radio Land, maybe seeing the future is a hybrid experience. Maybe future events can be witnessed by these folks, but the persons or objects appear how they look at the time of the vision than how they look at the time of the event. So that's one thing that struck me, right? Hmm. Okay. Like how? Just how firm are the seams in the fabric of scenery? Ah, you'd have to ask a seamstress or but, a tailor that is not me. <laughs> right? Yes. Too many tailors. Um, but, <laughs> but maybe we come back to the thing you mentioned earlier at the top of the show, or the top of my story, at least. Maybe predestination is conditional. Perhaps the important events that happen in the universe are measured by someone or something. Maybe events of greater consequence, like a fatal train crash, are predestined to happen. But events of smaller com consequence like you know painting the numbers on the side of a locomotive are not predestined to happen do you know what i mean i do know what you mean and that is a very i mean that's an interesting kind of an interesting thing to chew on yeah really so just something to think about but this was a story that just really uh it really got me because it it it, it brought into the paranormal discussion a whole other subculture of this you know people who also have kind of uh slightly obsessive hobbies yeah, if you if you understand what I'm saying. Oh sure. Um, and and it was these two worlds colliding, just like the two trains collided, and you know <laughs> something came out of it. Something was lost, and something was born. I thought so. I don't know. So that's my little story for tonight. That yeah, that is interesting. And and I will say I don't I don't know that I wouldn't call you a train buff. I mean, let's see, we had model trains growing up. Oh yeah. 
we loved to go down to like um either the san jose train station or the santa clara one that has all the freight cars and stuff and Mm -hmm. you know look at the different at the time bits of graffiti on the train cars Mm-hmm. if yeah, nothing yeah, else yeah. you know so i mean i think there's always been a little bit of rail fascination yeah. in our lives not to the level that we are you know train spotting right exactly or anything but yes that is i mean hey it could be worse i mean it could be birds it could be right you know everybody's got their thing to try and spot and if they want to like spot the trains and be like oh look They've changed the door hardware on this one. Mm-hmm. I need to call and lodge a complaint. I liked the old door hardware. That's fine. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> yeah. I it love makes it. Me, it makes me wonder how many, um, quote unquote, paranormal events might happen that never get picked up on. Like, I mean, apparently if this Howard Johnson character was the person who picked up the phone and was like, hey, why did you change the number on the side of the locomotive? That seems weird to me. You know? Yeah. Um, this possibly if that, you know, if he didn't ever made that call, maybe this story never would have left the, the corporate offices, so to speak, you know? And... Maybe. Yeah. it's a good question. Well, interestingly enough, Seb, every month, not only do you dig into some neat old stories, you go way deep <clears throat> <laughs> to unearth a story of high strangeness. And I know the story you're about to share. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for this. And I'm, I'm actually very <sighs> tickled by the fact that it happened the same year as my story. That's right. This is a uh, article that appeared. It actually appeared in many newspapers across the country. But mm-hmm. for our purposes tonight, it appeared in the Santa Cruz Sentinel newspaper on May 20th, 1965. So not all that far away from Wattsville either. Um, nope, not at all. And I've got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, um, this is a story that is near and dear to my heart because uh, before restarting research for tonight's episode, I had never heard of this occasion, this story that I'm about to say. And it broke my heart that I wasn't able to learn more about it because I would have loved to promote it up to basically the full story treatment rather than just the little article at the end of the episode. Yeah, trust me, I've tried to do some research on this one too, and it just... I've got nothing. So this is an article titled, They Remember the Night It Rained Cookies. Aw, yeah. Louisville, three neighbors still talk about the night it rained cookies. The shower, in quotation marks, was discovered by Stanley Morris, who heard a noise that sounded like an explosion. (laughs) Stepping outside, Morris found his backyard and garage roof littered with bags of cookies. (laughs) It was the same situation at the homes on either side of his. There was no name or identifying clues on the bags. And wow, when I found this article, I got to tell you, a lot of things went through my head. Um, also, possibly our shortest article it's for prob- Descent in the Archives. It is, it's, it's, it's super, a blurb. It's short, but it's big at the same time. Because <laughs> I'll tell you, I mean, first of all, first of all, how many times have I just wanted there to be a cookie and there was no cookies in my apartment and I just wanted them to just show up? I mean, this is like... Exactly. That's first thought. Second thought, who is the newspaper reporter who's doing this investigation and they don't bother to go through the detail to find out what flavor cookie it was? It's like... Yeah. Is this like Jimmy Olsen? Is this like a rookie cub reporter who just didn't know to ask the hard-hitting questions? I know. Were you talking chocolate chip or we're talking snickerdoodle? Yeah, exactly. Um... And then the other thing is, so, like, personally, one of my earliest memories of the paranormal are watching old reruns of the British TV show, Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World. Mm -hmm. 
And and I know I know you remember this show fondly, and oh, yeah. maybe hopefully a lot of our listeners do. If they haven't, please try to. It's it's on YouTube. It's pretty easy to find. Um, so of all the phenomena he discussed, um, all the mystery mysteries and things like that, he talked about un, a fairly well known phenomenon where we have unexplained showers of things like frogs or little fishes or nuts and stuff yep. like that. Yeah. Um, which uh, which is it's it's a it's a it's a paranormal phenomenon that a lot of people say. Well, maybe there's a, a natural explanation for. It. There's windstorms, and they they pick up little animals out of the ocean or something like that, and they bring them inland, and then they fall on a little village or something. And it's like, I, I you know, I stroke my chin and I think, oh, that sounds that sounds pretty good. Well, this has got to be if this incident really happened, and it, and if it falls within the category of this larger phenomena, this has got to be the strangest thing that's ever fallen out of the sky. I mean, this is, there could, unless this is a hoax or like a airplane from a bakery that exploded and dropped cookies everywhere. An airplane from a bakery. I mean, this Just is. think about that for a second. This is this is like the kind of thing where it's like okay, it's not like there was a windstorm that went over the ocean and picked up a whole bunch of cookies, you know. <laughs> this has got to be some sort of high strangeness, bizarro, supernatural event, you know. It's like it's it, it there cannot be an like a you know Mother Nature explanation for this story, in my opinion. But there was know? also the sound of an explosion. There was the sound of an explosion. This is true. So now, granted. There also wasn't any mention of a news story in which a, you know, cookie shop truck exploded. Right, exactly. It's like the article on the very next page. Yes. You know, cookie truck explodes. Right. The next yeah. column over. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what I don't know what to make of this story. I wish I could have, I don't know, tracked down first of all, Louisville. I'm assuming Louisville, Kentucky. Doesn't say I mean since it doesn't mention the state. Yeah. At all, I would assume it's Louisville, Kentucky, because that is mm-hmm. kind of the most popular one. Right. There are Louisvilles in other states. I think Ohio has one, maybe. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I would like to think that the Associated Press that uh, uh, syndicated the story out would have put the state down if it had been other than Kentucky. Right. That, that makes sense. Um, um, so we also have to make note that we don't know for sure yeah. in case, you know, one of our one of our sleuthy listeners says, you know, I'm going to figure this one out. And if you do, please report back to us. We'll have you on. Yeah. Or, or if this story occurs in the pages of another paranormal publication or something like that, please let right? me know. Because it seems like the kind of thing that there would have been a clickbaity YouTube video about. But Oh, my God. Yes. I, I couldn't find any mention of this anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, it is a weird one. And and I, I mean, I remember when I first <clears throat> saw this and I got all excited because I thought it actually happened in Santa Cruz. Um, oh. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And then I saw Louisville. I was like, ah, oh, shoot. I know, right? But I, I, will, I will make mention that probably one of my favorite cookie shops ever is actually based in Santa Cruz. And I believe they ship. So if you want to check out Pacific Cookie Company, <laughs> we're not getting we're not getting any free cookies from them for this, Our this promotion. Sponsor. Yeah, I know, right? I wish. <laughs> well, maybe I'll talk to them uh, next time I'm down there. <clears throat> yeah, check out Pacific Cookie Company. It's really, really good. It's just, it's the world is a magical place, ladies and gentlemen. It is. Cookies, it rains cookies. Cookies from, <laughs> cookies from heaven. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I hope I hope you've enjoyed uh, this story. I hope you've enjoyed our, our tonight's episode as much as I have. Um, Absolutely. Man. Yeah, I know. Cookies, psychic trains, 
beach trips with yeah. the Space Brothers. Totally. And sister, obviously. No. Crazy man. You're here. June, June was a weird month, and we're helping make July a weird month. Here it comes. With this episode. Oh, boy. Well, that is it for this month. Thank you for joining us on this adventure into the weirdness that surrounds us every day. Um, I'm just going to start making a mention right now. Um, we're kind of already talking about our next season quote unquote of the show and um if this were a house and an hgtv series we would be doing a full renovation um we have got a lot of big exciting changes uh coming for next season next year but still sticking with the paranormal though the high oh yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. we're not gonna suddenly you know turn into like a train spotting podcast like a train spotting (laughs) podcast that's right That's right. We'll be talking here on our British voices about the 47299, the the, uh, Tesseract Sheffield DMU-114 that I saw one day. I don't know where I'm going with this voice. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's been a weird day. No, please please continue. Yeah, well, in that case, um, I'll (laughs) gladly continue if you will bring me some biscuits. I think the Americans like to call them cookies. Uh, Biscuits once rained on a village I lived in. Oh, gee. Anywho. Anywho. We've got some exciting stuff coming. Indeed. Uh, Been working a little bit behind the scenes to uh, start lining some stuff up. It's... uh, more effort than I think I've put into a podcast in quite some time, but it's wow. going to be cool. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, though, you can follow us on Twitter at All Night Geeks. You can follow me at BusBuddha71, and you can follow Seb at Clan McMuffin. Sorry, there's that cough coming back. Um, hey, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, um, you know, your local train. Uh, station and be sure to rate and review us as well and you know what just as importantly share us with your friends maybe while you're sitting there watching trains go by word of mouth goes a long way to spread the love around and we'd appreciate it if you tell at least one train spotting friend about the podcast i'm gonna see how many train references i can make between now and the end of the show Um, big thanks, as always, to the Ghoulies for yet letting us use Hot Rods from Outer Space from the album Midnight in America as our intro and outro music. Uh, go give them a follow on the socials and head up to ghouliesdenver.bandcamp.com to buy their music. <clears throat> We've got merch. None of it has trains on them. But that's over at shop.spreadshirt.com slash N-O-T-L-G. That's right. Shirts, buttons, stickers, and more. Go check that out. And thanks, as always, to Kate the Steam-Powered Mouse for doing the show's artwork. You know what else is steam-powered? Trains. Mm, indeed. 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 If you want to throw a few bones our way to uh, help keep the lights and the hosting on or maybe help Seb buy a, a rail enthusiast magazine, <laughs> you can do that at patreon.com slash N-O-T-L-G. Oh, well, that's it for us this month. We're going to go pull into the station here. We'll catch you next month. And in the meantime, get out and find something weird. Go find a weird train. Good night. Good night, folks. Robbie, 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 Robbie,